Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, I don't want to die anywhere else, writes Jose Vadi in Interstate, his new essay collection about California. Vadi explores what he calls our disjointed mosaic of a state from his vantage point as a poet, former tech worker, the grandson of a Central Valley farm worker, and a skateboarder. Also, as someone who has lived in both Southern and Northern California. Have you moved around the state too? Where do you feel most at home? Join us after this news. This is Forum. I'm Nina Kim. California can be glorious, it can be maddening, and it's also massive. Jose Vadi takes all of this on in his new essay collection, Interstate, where he traces his grandfather's migration through the Central Valley, meditates on a specific intersection in Oakland, and relives the injustice he endured at an L.A. skate park as a teen, layering his experiences with observations of what it means to call this contradictory state home. Jose Vadi, welcome to Forum. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you. Where in California did you grow up again? It was Pomona? Pomona, yeah. Uh, kind of East San Gabriel Valley meets West Side of the Inland Empire. And what was Pomona like? What was it like growing up there? I like Pomona. I went to school nearby in Laverne, so I kind of had this dual existence of Pomona, which is pr- predominantly Latino, and Laverne, which is predominantly white. And uh, Pomona was really cool, though, because the downtown has this you know nice all-ages venue called the Glass House that opened up when I was a kid antique row a lot of cool like punk stores so it's i think a lot of people from la la would describe it as the middle of nowhere <laughs> for a lot of us growing up <laughs> out there in the valley it was in addition to claremont kind of a cultural epicenter for that area wow and when did you move to the bay area uh i went to uc berkeley as an undergrad so i moved up here for college in august 2002 and lived in the east bay all the way up until a couple months ago and i moved to sacramento Oh, wow. Moving is so discombobulating. I imagine that like some of the observations that you were making in this book, have they come up for you in some ways moving to Sacramento? Oh, absolutely. It's it's kind of full circle. You know, um, I, a lot of this book started off very much, you know, hyper local in the Bay Area in San Francisco and Oakland. And then it expanded across the state towards the Central Valley in Southern California, and now I'm in the capital. So it's kind of like almost the full trajectory and spectrum of my uh, adult California existence. But 
happy to be here in Sacramento and uh, be a fish out of water after being a very much a, a local in the Bay Area for many years. So does that mean that the Bay Area feels more like home to you than Pomona? Yeah, I think the Bay Area very much feels like my adopted home. And I feel like that was the case upon moving. You know, um, my older sister went to UC Berkeley as well, and I kind of followed her path and I talk about that a little bit in the book as well um but yeah the Bay Area I moved there to really become myself and it felt like a place where I could do so when did it start to feel like that you say as soon as you got here it started to feel like home like upon arrival yeah well you know keep in mind in Pomona you know the only form of public transportation is like Foothill Transit which is like a you know big public bus which takes forever Metrolink which is kind of not kind of cost prohibitive so you move to the Bay Area in circa 2002 and there's BART and there's the ability to walk to different neighborhoods and there's, you know, uh, record stores. And this is like all stuff as a pedestrian that you didn't really have access to unless you had a car. And the car was the big, you know, cultural barrier for a lot of folks growing up in Southern California. And I imagine still is, um, even with the Internet and social media. But uh, yeah, moving to the Bay Area just felt awesome <laughs> you, know, you know it just felt really great and that's nothing that's no uh, hate towards southern california by any means you know but it just felt really fulfilling being in the bay area so i want to talk a little bit about the title of your book interstate because there's actually a space between inter and state mm -hmm. and you do devote um a, a page to, to defining inter um, could you talk about the two definitions of inter? Yeah, yeah. Thank you for asking. So, uh, you know, this this manuscript really took a, a different turn when I when I wrote the essay, Interstate, and that's you know the collection is kind of named after that. And you know, I start the book with this definition of inter, which is to deposit a dead body in the earth or in a tomb, you know, bury. As a, that's the transitive verb definition, and then the prefix of inter is between, among, in the midst. And as a writer, I really felt like that prefix definition was my POV as a narrator and kind of protagonist in, this, in these essays. You know, I'm going between these different definitions of California, these different identities of being a Californian, uh, while at the same time, I'm kind of unearthing the soil that my grandfather and, you know, uh, men and women like him of his generation and still today till and work on every day um, to generate the state's profits. So, and then, you know, my grandfather passed away in 2011, and a lot of the essay and the collection of Interstate is kind of chasing and pursuing um, his memory and his existence here in the state. So that kind of brought these two different definitions of inter together, where I am going out into the state and checking out through these interstate highways in right. these different literal freeways, right? Literal interstates, yeah. Literal interstates. I'm kind of making that definition come true in a lot of different ways. Um, and I'm making it come true for, uh, you know, as a member of a community in California, which again, to the point of cars and geography and movement and the kind of different bubbles that exist across the state is kind of rare, you know, and, and that's still surprising to me, even though yeah. I've lived here for many years. It is. It is kind of rare. You're right. Well, can I ask you to read a passage from Interstate, that first and central essay for your book? Sure, no problem. Um, and if there's anything you want to say about it ahead of time or just go into it, it's up to you. 
Yeah, sure. So, you know, the, the SI interstate was kind of provoked by in the in the kind of mid aughts, I recorded my grandfather on a high eight camcorder, <laughs> which is a very outdated uh, device. And I got the tape um, digitized when I was writing this book. And it, you know, was the catalyst for starting this essay. So this is me after having digitized the tape, reflecting on the next step, which is these trips I'm going to take across California. There's never been a time that I've driven through the Central Valley without thinking, is this where he worked? Those orchards buzzing by in rows of skeletal wrath? Did he rest in their shade away from the highway? For years, I thought Abuelo's work stopped at the Salinas Valley before I heard about trips as far north as San Jose. I can't trace all the miles, but I can go to those fields that have been raised and seeded and destroyed and re-irrigated and dammed and flooded and manipulated to a science so exploitative that the soil barely recognizes itself in these valleys of abundance, exportation, growth, and water. I can trace those parts of the regurgitated, reprofited California to which he contributed his labor, his blood, his life. You say that your abuela was one of the intentional ghosts who made this westward trip. What do you mean by that? Yeah, it's, uh, I feel like California is filled with a lot of different ancestral spirits and narratives. You know, it's kind of, California is, is a modern experiment that has had uh, many different uh, owners, so to speak, um, if not, you know, conquerors. So it's interesting, the different, when you talk about a Californian, you know, and I think about my grandfather who wasn't born here in California, but migrated here and, you know, worked the fields and tilled the fields. It really lends, these, lends itself to these different definitions of who has a relationship with the land and how much that has defined being a Californian for years, you know, since it's, you know, development in the 19th century. So, you know, I think, of him, I think of, you know, the narratives that, you know, Steinbeck has created. I think of, you know, the different um, histories that we in 2021 are beginning to uncover about, you know, uh, Black Wall Street in Tulsa and like things like that, that are still in the ground, so to speak, you know, to kind of uh, overuse that inter metaphor more. But like, um, it's really interesting how many people like my grandfather and through the research of this book, I realized how many generations of farm workers contributed literally their lives to this state. Um, and I talk about different incidences of, um, you know, bracero workers, um, you know, getting killed in yes. you know, the Salinas Valley, as well as plane crashes in the Coalinga Mountains um, and different monuments that were created by uh, writers like myself who were researching different histories of um, Mexican and Central American farm workers and, um, and seeing the incidents that happened, you know, before our time. You also, as you tell your grandfather's story, you talk about the Grapes of Wrath, which is about, of course, the, the Joad family and their migration from Oklahoma to California during the Depression. And you compare the ending John Steinbeck wrote to the Hollywood movie's more optimistic ending. And this difference um, feels almost like a metaphor for the tension that you bring out in interstate about California, the reality and California, the dream. Can you talk about why you call attention to the, the different endings there? 
Absolutely. And thank you for noticing and asking about that. I mean, it's, it's really interesting to kind of see that uh, distinction with, you know, the grapes of wrath and that ending. And I think that's microcosmic of this metaphor that, um, again, speaks to this California experiment, the California dream, you know, this idea of Western, Western migration of manifest destiny of, uh, you know, of, of conquering <laughs> the state of California. Um, and the, the ability to do so by way of pulling up one's bootstraps, I think is a fallacy. And I think it's kind of underwritten the California dream for years, um, but has allowed it. It's a very opaque notion. It, it, it allows a lot of communities to be swept under that dreams rug. So I really wanted to draw attention um, to one of the most known stories about California's history, the Grapes of Wrath, as well as East of Eden. And um, the way in which Hollywood, which is also a very California industry, uh, you know, massage that narrative to create uh, arguably a politicized notion at the end, which is very different, in my opinion, than what Steinbeck was creating in his original text. Um, so that being said, you know, The Grapes of Wrath for me is throughout my creative life has been a really interesting, you know, idea to think about, especially when you're driving through the state. I think for a lot of people, Steinbeck is their entry point into California and, and, the, and the agrarian history therein. But, you know, I wanted to focus on other things that weren't being addressed in, you know, a lot of different narratives. Um, and that's where a lot of the monuments to Bracero workers, as well as uh, recent incidents of violence against H-2A visa recipients and the housing afforded to them by growers, which is a modern day reflection of the Bracero program. I wanted to reflect on those incidents as well. We're talking with Jose Vadi. We're talking about his new book of essays about California called Interstate. And I want to invite your listeners to join the conversation. What are your questions or comments for Jose Vadi as he talks about what California is and what it means to him? I'm also curious if you've lived in different parts of California and where feels like home and why. You can tell us at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. Get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. Email us, forum at kqed.org. More after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking with Jose Vadi about his new book, Interstate. It's a collection of essays that trace his abuelo's journey as a migrant farm worker in the Central Valley. It's layered with Vadi's modern day observations about life in California. And you, our listeners, are invited to join the conversation if you have questions or comments for Jose, or if you have lived in different parts of California, Southern and Northern maybe, or moved from Northern to Southern. Which one feels more like home? Do you identify more with Northern California or Southern California? 866-733-6786 is the number to call if you want to tell us why. 866-733-6786. You can get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum or email us forum at kqed.org. Kelly writes, I grew up in the San Joaquin Valley. I really wish people would call it that, not the Central Valley. I've also lived in Santa Barbara, Ventura, and Orange County and have been in the North Bay for 17 years now. I can't imagine ever moving back to the San Joaquin Valley or Orange County. <laughs> and Stephen tweets, I lived in Los Angeles for 12 years. Moving to the Bay Area was like a breath of fresh air, literally. Jose Body, since you... Grew up in Southern California and Pomona and moved to the Bay Area. I did wonder if you considered yourself, when you talk about inter as between places, if you actually thought yourself as between the cultural differences of Pomona and the Bay Area. It sounded like right away the culture of the Bay Area really spoke to you and connected with you. But I do wonder if there are moments when you do things or behave in ways where you're like, oh, my God, that is so Pomona. That is so Southern California of me to do. Uh, well, I think a lot of Bay Area residents, when they get into the passenger seat of their friend's car who grew up in Southern California, they definitely know that that's an L.A. driver. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like there's like there's moments like that where it's like, oh, you grew up in the Southland. You know how to weave through traffic. Um, I think Oakland, Oakland is pretty good in that regard, too. But that's one thing that kind of comes to mind of being a Southern Californian that I can't shake is the way I drive. <laughs> well, in your essay, I want to ask you about California inquiry now. And one of the things that I was struck by in that essay is that what really animates it is a concern that you have about our collective memory of California as fading, that younger Californians may not understand sort of all of the complicated cultural elements that have formed California's identity. And I am wondering, well, well, first, do you want to talk a little bit about the parts of California's collective memory that you're concerned about sort of fading away? Sure. Uh, you, you know, a California inquiry is a really interesting essay because it's a, it's kind of a bunch of uh, vignettes of about like different parts of California's history. And it's kind of me like pontificating about uh, are kids really going to understand what it was like in, you know, the nineties or in a, even just in the pre-social like mid aughts <laughs> world, you know, with our, our history, and our concepts of time being like accordions these days, right? Um, so, you know, growing up in and in '90s Southern California and being a skater and leaving your house, and there's literally no way for anyone to get a hold of you, and you're 13 and you're just out doing your thing. You know, I don't know, and that you know that's in California, but that can apply anywhere. Like, I don't know if if kids experience that, you know, these days, or and or if they experience a better version of it, you know, I, I really don't know, but just moments like that moments where uh, like road trips across California that aren't defined by, you know, pins on your Google map, but are just defined by like a Thomas guide and just the ability to 
get lost and, you know, find the mysterious parts about California, you know, this kind of sense of mystery and this sense of discovery um, and the sense of like needing to be there and needing to show up and experience things, whether it's a venue or a skate spot or, you know, what have you. Uh, I was just really curious about what type of California we're going to define in, you know, in the archive of our like kind of cultural mind, so to speak, you know, like what is, what is, how are we going to continue to define California given how historically, you know, it's ever changing. Um, but there's still this idea of this California dream, this California mind state. Yeah. You know, this, and so if that idea is perpetuating, what is the reality? You know, <laughs> like what's underlying that thing? Um, and who gets to profit off of the California dream and who doesn't? Well, we've got a lot of calls coming in. Let me start going to some of them. Richard in Piedmont. Hi, Richard. Hello, how are you? I'm well. Um, so, yeah, so I am originally from Philadelphia, came to California in 1974 with my mom when she left my dad, we lived, lived in Carson, moved to Palo Alto, then to West Los Angeles, and finally now in Oakland for several years, just to, on your point about living in different parts of the country. Yeah. My daughter is now attending Pitzer Pomona, so I thought that was amazingly coincidental, and I recently wrote a story about returning from dropping her off in Pomona along either debating going Highway 5 or Highway 1. And to the writer's point or his title, Interstate, I was wondering if he had a comment about the uh, contrast between traveling the state on Highway 5 versus Highway 1. Yeah, thank you. And congrats uh, to your daughter and, and, you know, going to college. That's awesome. Um, I think... uh, you know, you can also throw in Highway 101 and 99 in there, too. You know, there's if you're going from Southern California to Northern California. And uh, I I know a lot of people like 101 because you get to avoid the grapevine, you know, et cetera, and things like that. But I really like taking the grapevine. You know, I really love that preparation of after Six Flags, if you're heading north, you know, revving up and turning off your AC and hopefully you don't overheat. <laughs> you know, like I, I like that that kind of rush it's a roller coaster you know and uh, the pyramid lake and everything up there it's really cool yeah. uh shout out to gorman you know uh <laughs> but it's it's a really interesting and you know it's fun in the book like taking interstate trips that i hadn't taken before i hadn't taken the palmdale highway through past edwards air force base up to i think 58 cut over the tehachapis you know i'd never done that before i still haven't driven from 15 across the high desert and done the same either so Southern California, when you get over there in the San Gabriel Valley and Inland Empire to get back to those north-south highways to get you to NorCal and Bay Area takes a lot of effort. So there's a lot of different topographies you can traverse. But my favorite route is the Grapevine. You've called it a rite of passage, sort of. Or maybe you haven't called it that specifically, but it certainly feels like you feel that way about the Grapevine. Totally. (laughs) Why? Why is it that? I think it's, you know, my dad is... uh, Puerto Rico by way of East Harlem. So his understanding of California and driving over these hills and like him describing the first time he drove, you know, he frequently tells me when I first time I went to San Francisco, I was trying to drive up the hills with a stick shift, you know what I mean? In the seventies. So I always understood that topographically California is very rare to a lot of people. And so our part of being a Californian and kind of being a navigator of the state is understanding it's pitfalls understanding especially in southern california and you know increasingly in the bay area like whether it's traffic how to the best on-ramp to the bay bridge or you know whatever 
I love that kind of locals only niche knowledge that you can really only find through experience. No Yelp review is going to give you the feeling of driving across the grapevine and messing up, getting a flat tire, having to figure it out. That's yeah. part of living in California. Um, I was also struck by Richard's question about Highway 1. And when I think about Highway 1 and I think about the grapevine, right, and then taking the 5 or the 99, it does feel like you're seeing two very different sides of California, two very different ideas of California or experiences of it in in just those two different, two different routes. Um, and I think it also really speaks to what you get at, which is, which is just how variegated the experiences are of people who live here. Um, and also how <laughs> variegated in some ways the topography is in a state like this and all the different the different feelings um, that it can bring up for you. Let me go to Frank in San Jose. Hi, Frank. Thanks for calling in. Hi. Um, I'm also from the East Coast, uh, and I wanted to confirm for for your listeners that, yes, the California dream is very real, but it's probably kind of an elitist dream to some extent, and this is what I mean. I have three children who are who profited tremendously from the university system here in California, even though they're from the East coast, they came out here and then they, they have profited immensely from their chosen careers, which happened to be in the tech industry and the entertainment industry. I mean, they literally could not do what they do anywhere else in this, in this country. So for that purpose alone, I would say the California dream is real for these particular types of people. And then the other thing in general, for those of us who grew up on the East coast, the fact that you can get up out of, out of your out of your house every morning and pretty much have a summer day, no matter what time of year it is, that's also kind of an aspect of the California dream that I think some uh, indigenous people or native native Californians take for granted. And believe me, those of us from the East Coast do not take that from for granted. It literally is a dream to have that kind of weather. Well, well, Frank, thanks for those observations, and, I, and I'm glad that uh, some of what the California dream has been has felt like reality to you or a little bit of those experiences. Um, let me go next to Jose in Oakland. Hi, Jose. What's on your mind? Hi. I just wanted to congratulate my tocayo for a great job in, uh, in um, his authorship. Uh, it, it actually pulls together a lot of the experiences that I've had. I, they immigrated from Tijuana in the, in the early 60s, moved to the Central Valley, a little town called Livingston on Highway 99, whose claims to fame is Foster Farms and Gala Wine, and traveled the 99 for many years, returned to, to California, lived in Fresno, uh, went off to my professional um, career as a journalist in, uh, in the Salinas Valley, but also congratulate him for calling out uh, the contributions of the farm workers, that they, what they've given to California uh, from their labor and how California has profited immensely, and uh, you know, few people know that uh, the Central Valley feeds the feeds the world. Uh, congratulations again, and pulling all the elements of what I've experienced in my life, also. Uh, and uh, I guess that that was just my comment. No questions. Uh, Jose, thanks, and let me ask Jose Vadi uh, if you have any reaction to uh, to what your tocayo says. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Jose. Um, that was a big goal in creating this book is um, both in terms of subject and in terms of the prose having an emotional spectrum as well as a uh, topical spectrum in the context of California. You know, I very much wanted to 
shine a light on communities that for generations, and I really want to emphasize for generations have been contributing to the state and to this country um, and are consistently the most vulnerable population in the state, or if, at the very least, one of the most vulnerable. There's a moment in the book where you visit a former Spreckles factory and um, you stand there and you take pictures of it and you reflect on how the now acquired factory, the small town park and the architecture of the school, you say, make me feel less like a Molotov, Molotov cocktail throwing raconteur and more like a Reagan era Marty McFly transported to 1955. I was so struck by that line. In some ways, it almost touches on what Jose and even Frank were saying about who sort of gets to benefit from from the work of of others and it tends to be like the 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 people who did well in business um but mm -hmm. I, i'm wondering what that line was about oh yeah i mean it's we're talking about identity here and and you know at the time that i'm writing interstate and traveling to these fields i i need to recognize i was kind of recognizing my privilege in the equation as well i'm an unemployed white collar worker, you know, uh, just traveling the state and trying to do what, you know, I think a lot of people in office buildings would call passion projects, right? And uh, I was, you know, feeling in the in, in certain situations, uh, traveling the state, you know, you feel like an, you are an outsider, you know, you're kind of, I, I frequently describe myself as a city slicker in this book, you know, kind of coming into different parts of the San Joaquin Valley, Central Valley, and, you know, Central Coast, And, you know, on site when I arrive, you know, I'm there as kind of a journalist or as a, you know, as a writer using journalist kind of tactics to, you know, address the story. And in those moments, I, I think like if someone saw me here, like, do they think I'm here to mess things up? Am I here to be, you know, start trouble, so to speak? Am I a rock and tour, you know, or am I just, you know, given the setting and given just this, the architecture of a company town like Spreckles, <laughs> where it's so much unchanged from when, you know, the, the, the beet sugar refinery was created and thus the town. Um, it really feels like I'm back in the 50s and back to the future too, um, which was filmed at Whittier High School and the, the, the beautiful Art Deco uh, situation there. You know, it's, the architecture really spoke to me as just a writer in the space And it felt so dated and so unchanged that it felt kind of intentional in that regard. You know, there's a certain element of aspects of, I think, of some of these towns and some of the culture fueling these towns. Um, and this is beyond Spreckles that um, speaks to this idea that things don't change here. Um, and that's kind of what I was exploring in that moment was just this idea of if someone was going to see me right now, what would they think? What do I think of myself in this moment? And kind of addressing certain aspects of the privilege I have in, in the moments I'm navigating the state. Yeah. Speaking of privilege in California inquiry, you, you mentioned that you were once a tech worker and that you could afford things like good seats to the symphony, but even then you couldn't afford to buy land in the state of your birth. Um, I think you write, this is what it is to perpetually feel displaced and privileged at the same time in 21st century California. Can you talk about those feelings of displacement and privilege, how they coexist? Do you feel the pulls even in this moment in your life? Um, I, I imagine people listening right now are doing a monthly equation between rent, existence, 
the increasing cost of living, healthcare, and the gaps they're in. You know, um, to one of the previous callers' points, you know, there is a privilege of being able to use the resources of California to your benefit and find we have great universities. We have, there are industries here that are powerful and, are, and extend far beyond the Bay Area and California. That being said, it's almost like the question of what does it cost to be a Californian for the rest of your life, you know? And I was hitting a, very much a glass ceiling of being a renter and fearing that. Um, you know, the precarity of being a renter, you know, we've seen in the pandemic, um, how renters, particularly at the bottom of the economic scale are, you know, the most, it's, it's the most precarious position to be in, in terms of a resident, you know, here in the state. And then, you know, but there's also the privileges of like, well, I can afford it. I can afford to be here. I can, I can afford to kind of continue my own personal idea of a California dream or pursuit of a California existence here, but kind of at what cost. And, who doesn't have to deal with those questions and who just kind of gets to excel? How quickly does that happen for that demographic, you know? And so, and then every day you're riding the train, you're seeing, or you're driving around, you're seeing more encampments and yet you're seeing more sports cars. You're seeing more millionaires. You're seeing dozens of more millionaires in, in the city, let alone the East Bay. You're seeing more, uh, you know, you're seeing, houses with caved in roofs in Oakland selling for nearly a million dollars, if not over, you know, so this immense unprecedented wealth that is frequently described in golden state warriors games as a gold rush um, is, you know, juxtaposed with this daily reality of people, an increasing amount of people living on the margins of their existence here. And, you know, that juxtaposition unfortunately, is uh, happening nationwide, but you also see it in different parts of this state. I was surprised to see as big of encampments in places like Hanford, which is like a suburb of Fresno, you know, as much as like Oakland and Berkeley and San Francisco at times, you know, so these issues aren't concentrated just to cities. They, They permeate every town, city, you know, community in the state. So um, we need, part of this book was looking at the state as a state, truly. You know, I don't write about every part of the state, but I try through my personal experiences to address this relationship between the different parts of it. Yes. um, Well, we're coming up on a break, so let me remind listeners, we're talking with Jose Vadi about his book, Interstate, Essays from California. We'll have more with him and with you after the break. Stay with us. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking with Jose Vadi about California, and you, our listeners, are sharing your reflections as well. If you have questions or comments for Jose, call us at 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. Email us, forum at kqed.org. Post comments on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. You can tell us if you've lived in different parts of the state and what you've noticed and learned from moving around about California or your thoughts on California's identity, um, important parts of it in your view or concerns about things that we're in danger of forgetting or not knowing. Um, And we've gotten quite a few comments. Let me read a few of them here. Justin writes, I was born in the Bay and grew up in the Central Valley. I came back to the Bay in my early 20s. I love it here, but find myself moving to the Sacramento area, pushed out of my area by the housing market. I'm not happy about the location, but we will make it work. And this listener tweets, I definitely don't miss L.A. drivers. (laughs) They wouldn't let their mother into their lane, blinkers or not. And uh, this listener writes, I'm definitely a SoCal girl born and raised in Ventura County, but we always stress being from our bucolic backwater coastal valley instead of the Los Angeles area, at least until the Dodgers are trying to take the Giants out. Then we're all Angelinos. And Rose tweets, I grew up in the South Bay and remember when the last cherry orchard was demolished to make way for a shopping center and six-story condo development. I will always call the Bay home, but it has definitely changed through the years and feels different now. Lots of callers on the line, too. Let me go to Diana in Richmond. Hi, Diana. Oh, hi. Thanks for picking me. Um, yeah, I just really appreciate this topic. I'm a Bay, I'm a Bay Area native, California native, um, and I've lived in NorCal most of my life. And I just got back from visiting my aunt in Sacramento. And my family um, came to California in the early 1900s, and most of them migrated up through the Central Valley um, to Willows. And so a lot of our stories are from that area. And my aunt is a really great storyteller. And she, she's just the historian of the family talking about what it was like living, you know, as dirt farmers, basically farming their own land. Um, and I feel a very strong connection to California because of those stories. Mm. Um, so I was thinking when I was visiting her, you know, listening to her spinning these tales of what it was like, you know, and how they would get their food canned. And, um, you know, my grandfather had like a fifth grade education, but worked for different farmers in the area. And when she's gone, what will happen to these stories? So I really appreciate, you know, the writer's um, attention to the stories of his ancestors and how they connect to the land. Um, you know, my family is white, so that, you know, definitely there was segregation going on, um, to my understanding. And I don't even know who owned the land before they had it. But, um, you know, the sense of the small farmer who really had a strong connection to the land because they were working it themselves, I think that's disappearing because of big farms, you know, big corporate farms taking, buying up land and taking it over. 
So I really appreciate that topic and, and the very strong connection that I feel just to the land of California and especially rural California because, you know, it's something that a lot of people in the city never see. They just they go they drive through it on their way to Tahoe, but they don't really notice what's happening there. Well, Diana, thanks. I, I appreciate you sharing those reflections. And I think that's the most times Willows has been acknowledged in the last like 72 hours of of this show or, or maybe a little uh Longer than that, but uh, it's nice to hear from you. Thank you. Let me go to Ray in Santa Barbara. Hi, Ray. Hi. Well, you know, I, I was born in San Diego County, uh, Camp Pendleton Marine Corps Base, actually. And um, I've lived as, uh, in California for most of my life, uh, living as far north as Marysville and Lake Tahoe and Salinas and Monterey and, you know, you, you name it. I've, I've been there. I'm Johnny Cash. But I think that... Um, it's a special place, but it's five different states or five different countries, really, because uh, living on the Western Sierra for a while, I, I realized that, you know, there's a disconnect there. And um, my um, ancestors, my uncles and aunts, some of them worked in, as farm workers. And uh, my, my cousin is Dolores Huerta, oh, wow. who is one of, the, one of the founders of the UFW. Yeah. And um, I didn't know that until I was working in uh, Fresno. Or actually, Bakersfield at the time, and um, she mentioned my mom's name. So I thought, wow, what a connection. So, you know, I mean, uh, things get spread out. But, uh, and somebody mentioned Hanford. I, I worked there for a while, too, you know, uh, my long career. Uh, but um, I, I think California, uh, I, I left for a while with Central America and, and worked with BBC and, and different uh, companies. And I went to Cuba to work for NPR, actually. And, um, I came back and I realized, you know, I don't want to leave California again. Uh, so that's why I'm in Santa Barbara. In fact, I don't want to leave Santa Barbara again. It's a, it's a very special place. Yes, it's very expensive. And, yes, we have a definite homeless problem like most of the cities in, in California do. Um, but I think that, um, I mean, uh, what can you say? It, it's, uh, it's another world. I, as a boy, I lived in uh, Florida for a while. My dad, my dad was stationed there in the Marine Corps. And... Um, I, I guess I liked it for a while, but when I get back to California, I liked it even more here. I just wanted to go out of the state for a while to get some contrast, and I got it. And um, I yeah. don't want to leave again. Yeah. You don't want to leave again. I, I think the idea of not leaving is sort of an interesting thing that your essays make me think about, Jose, because um, you you write that like you there's no place you'd rather die I, let me let me get it right i don't want to die anywhere else i think is the exact quote which i think is so interesting because a lot of times i think of that as like i don't want to live anywhere else like there's no place i'd rather live right <laughs> but you chose to say there's no place i'd rather die essentially yeah and why 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 is that distinction important like why did you sort of use that word and talk about death, which to me brings up leaving a place as opposed to living in a place. I think, well, death is arguably a part of life, you know, and, you know, it's it's interesting how much, uh, frankly, death I crossed in this state. You know, the monuments to people who, who you know, died here before me were very moving to me. And it, it very much got me thinking about, uh, you know, what is home to you? You know, I was, a. this is kind of a tangent, but I thought about 
Eugene O'Neill, the famous American playwright, you know, he spent his last days in Danville here in California. His house, the Tao House, is a historic, you know, landmark. He died on the road. And I think his last words were like, born on the road or born in a motel, die in a motel. And I found that really sad because like it really speaks to Eugene O'Neill's kind of family life and this kind of this kind of tragedy that's haunted him. But it's this interesting idea of this desire to like recognize how this like you know where where you end up and like where where your where your final kind of resting place is is kind of a big way of how you define home you know it's it is it does speak to that idea of not wanting to go anywhere else that being said i'm down to travel you know and take road trips out of state i'm down to like you know go out and see friends in new york or whatever but i think it's just this idea of and maybe this is a, a predicated on the pandemic but you know this idea of when things end where are you going to be? And I, I can't help but also think it's, you know, based on my relationship with my grandfather, one of his biggest wishes, and keep in mind, this is a migrant farm worker who, you know, came into this country and, you know, gained citizenship and, and started a family here. Um, one of his biggest wishes was to pass away in his own home. So the implications of that are many, given, you know, some of our previous conversations and, and some of the callers that have chimed in. You know, uh, I think that's as important to think about, however morbid, as much as, you know, where you want to live your days. You know, um, it's, it's, it's all part of life. So even with all the, the contradictions, when you, you write about the things about California that are so maddening or, or so hard to reconcile, ultimately, this is the place you want to die. Yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> I think growing up in Southern California, too, you know, you have a relationship with cemeteries. You know, when you say, like, your family's buried in Rose Hills off the 605 versus being buried in Forest Lawn versus being buried at Hollywood Forever Cemetery, those are all very different worlds. And those all speak to very different communities. You know, um, yeah. it was very interesting going into Fresno and seeing Armenian-identified cemeteries for that representation. So isn't it interesting that in death these communities that are traditionally at the margins are trying to still find representation in the state and still be recognized for who they are. I found that very interesting. Hmm. Let me go to Casey in Oakland. Hi, Casey. Hi. Uh, my stepfather was much older than my mother, and I'm 80. And he came out from the Dust Bowl. He picked peaches uh, and with a lot of what they used to call hobos, people who had unhoused they had no place to go and they uh, would sit around campfires and share food what they could get of it and later he built a house in the San Joaquin Valley and you know he told me a lot of wonderful stories I'm not going to bore you with them but it really meant a lot to me to hear these stories of you know the grapes of wrath straight from the person's mouth who actually rode the rails and uh, did all of that. And I, I think that the kind of poverty that they were experiencing is maybe back with us and we need to pay attention. Mm. Uh, I'm 80 and I think that it's real important that people um, realize that these things are cyclic, but if you don't pay attention, it comes back to haunt you. Well, Casey, th thanks for that. Jose Body, do you feel like there's a core value to California 
that we haven't lived up to? Something that a lot of people would say, yeah, that is a core value of this state. I mean, thank you very much, Casey. I couldn't agree more with their comment. And I think it, to answer your, your question, Mina, I think it there's a lot of different there's a couple of things that come to mind, you know, um, California is not just Los Angeles. California is not just San Francisco. California is a state and there's many different regions and a previous caller said that there's at least five states. There might even be more. There's a lot of different worlds within California and there's a lot of different communities that have not been, whose stories have not been told. Um, you know, a lot of this book writing it, I felt as much as a writer, as much as a conduit. Um, so maybe, to answer your question, what we need to preserve as Californians is our history and to recognize that our history is not geographically limited to cities, um, that it extends to, you know, the coast, the farm, the mountains and everything, the deserts. We have a beautiful state that's massive. Do we have a unified California identity? Maybe, you know, it's kind of this unspoken, like, this unspoken thing that I feel like a lot of Californians know when they are here in this state and feel it, right? There's a certain energy, a certain vibe, a certain vibration. You know, it, it's hard to describe and, and bottle that up and, you know, say that this is what we need to preserve. But maybe an initial step is asking questions to our elders and, you know, reaching across the generational table, so to speak, and hitting record on your cell phone and capturing these stories saving those voicemails, digitizing those photos. I think preserving our history is one of the key ways that we as Californians are going to define our next era and hopefully avoid some of those pitfalls that are extremely cyclical in our state. We're talking with Jose Vadi. His new book of essays about California is called Interstate, and you're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Remy writes, isn't the real split between the coast and inland California, not the north and south? This is based on observations of ideology, industry, age, and a brain drain that disadvantages much of the state that isn't San Francisco, Mountain View, L.A., or San Diego. I grew up in the East Bay, went to college in L.A., and did a public policy fellowship in Stockton. Never have I felt like Dorothy so much as after I moved from West Hollywood to Stockton in 2001. Hmm. What do you think, Jose? The real split is the coast and the inland areas. It's an interesting argument, you know, and it, it replicates itself in, I mean, a lot of major cities are along the coast, right? You know, and um, I, I don't know though. I mean, there's a lot of different industries in California that might change that idea. Um, I mean, one thing in the Inland Empire is pretty much if you buy anything online, it's probably being distributed through a center in the Inland Empire. So, you know, everything west, east of the 15, excuse me, is now like distribution centers. Uh, I don't know if that would qualify as like a brain drain or like an industry, but it's so lucrative that it's dominating the entire geographic area. So in that sense, there is like this big, you know, there's a market there, right? That's extremely inland. Um, but I feel like the more rural and more desert and more, you know, out there you go in this state, yeah, you're going to have a lot less resources. And I think that's why the development of UC Merced a decade or so ago was so critical for the Central Valley. In addition to Cal State schools like Bakersfield and their extension program, I believe in the Monterey, Salinas Valley area. It's interesting how the Cal States are and UCs are recognizing this need too. And to start, you know, seeing these different cities in San Joaquin and beyond as potential incubators. That being said, 
I don't think that we should implement a Bay Area or Los Angeles model into a Central Valley town. We should work with that community to see what their needs are and to see what type of industries they want to develop. You know, it can't be like a one size fits all model, but there's a lot of industries in the state and you'd be surprised at how much are in areas that you wouldn't have thought of. And, you know, there's a lot of military bases across the state too, that employ a lot of folks and prisons. Well, let me go to Margaret and Laverne. Hi, Margaret. Join us. Hi. Go right ahead. Hi, uh, Margaret uh, in Laverne, yes, and I'm Jesse's mom. I wanted to say hello to Jose. I knew him as a high school student, a very creative, brilliant kid. Um, I grew up in the heart of the San Joaquin Valley, but moved to L.A. County as an adult. And so the San Joaquin Valley is still in my heart, but L.A. County is my home. And I just wanted to say, Jose kind of mentioned this just now, that how much the San Joaquin Valley has changed with, in terms of air quality and agribusiness. Well, uh, oddly, our air quality has improved down here. But I wanted to thank him so much for writing the book. I really, really appreciated it. And I also have really enjoyed the Highway 99 book, the collection of essays and poets. And I really wish that he could have been part of that book because it belongs. Thanks so much, Jose. Good to hear from you. <laughs> Jose. Oh, likewise. Margaret yeah. from Laverne, yeah. Oh, immediately I knew that was Margaret. That was, that was really great to hear from you, and I hope to see uh, your son, too. We played in garage bands in high school, and we're very dear friends. Actually, Margaret's son and I, we my initial trips to like Yolo County and Chico were all in summer college road trips with uh, Margaret's son. So good to hear from you, and hope you're doing well. Well, Chris writes, I am native-born in L.A., raised in Modesto, and have spent the better part of my life traveling California. I love the geography and the diversity of culture. I've worked in the fields next to all kinds of immigrants and studied at Stanford. I must say I worship nature, and I lament climate change and the thought of my grandchildren not knowing the places I love. I am a citizen of California. Well, Jose Vadi, what are you hoping people will, will get from your book? Um, we just have 30 seconds left, but... What are you hoping you will add to this? I think really a question that gets at all of us these days, which is the California dream and the fact that it just feels like constantly it's being chipped away at in some ways. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's good to chip away at the I think it's good to chip away at the California dream if we're enabling new storytelling and new histories to be included in that narrative, you know, and I think. California will always be in the nation's eye and it will always be an example, if not like a bellwether of what's to come. So I would encourage people to continue to have a relationship with your community and your sense of place and history. You are a historical documenter of your times and your family and your culture. And I encourage people to have an active relationship with with their own personal histories and their sense of place. So, um, And who knows, maybe you can go on a road trip and use this book as a guide. But um, I just hope it Lisa, those questions. The book is Interstate by Jose Vadi. You've been listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com.
We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.